At this point, all those experiences, you know, when I play, when I'm playing the piano, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to play my experience. It's not about really anything more than that. The ultimate goal for any musician is to be able to transmit their own personal experience through the music and have their listeners hear what they feel. For Fred Hirsch, attaining this candid communication with his audience has been a process of evolution. Moving from sideman to leader, from trio leader to pioneering solo pianist, he was the first pianist to secure a week-long solo engagement at the legendary Village Vanguard, and living openly as an HIV-positive gay man during the 1980s and into the present. This is Jazz Stories. I'm Alexa Lim. In this interview recorded in 2000, Fred Hirsch reveals how he learned to play his own experiences. I was lucky that I learned jazz on the bandstand. I mean, I'm a schooled musician, but I actually learned by playing with these old guys, or older guys, and they were great to me. I mean, they were firm, but they also, you know, they, they kicked my butt, basically, but they were very nice about it. And they would let me, you know, they would kind of hang me out to dry occasionally. And I had one of these kind of, it was sort of an epiphany when I first sat in in a jazz club. The only song I really knew was Autumn Leaves. And, you know, and I didn't play it very well because I'd never played with a real rhythm section. I was, I screwed up the form and I did all the, made all the normal sins. And so the, the saxophone player, this guy Jimmy McGarry in Cincinnati, took me aside and he said, you got talent, kid, you know, listen and come back, you know, keep coming back. So I went to the record store and I bought every record that had on leaves on it, which was 13 albums. Chet Baker and Miles and Ahmad Jamal and Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans and I can't remember what all. And I just listened to them all because that was my frame of reference. And it was a real good message. It said, there's no one way to skin a cat. And you can't really say that any one of these is the best version. And also that the idea is to be personal. And also just how hard it is to take something that's kind of generic like that and make it into something, tell story with it. And when it really happens, it's kind of magical. And that was an important thing to me. Actually, one night I was hearing Jimmy Rolls at Bradley's and he was playing ballads. And he played a ballad and then the melody and then he went to another tune, just played the melody and then he went to another. By the fourth tune, he, you know, he was just playing this medley of melodies of ballads and he could tell that I was sort of waiting for the jazz. I was leaning there you know, he leaned over and he said, sometimes I just like to play melodies. You know, and that was great to realize that sometimes that's all you have to do. But it's not easy. It's not simple to get the details right, to play it with love and understanding. My particular kind of technique maybe shines more in a solo setting than in a trio setting. I guess all I can say for me is for a long time I used to think that my trio was sort of like the, the hub of my jazz wheel and it's not true for me anymore. The solo is definitely the hub of the jazz wheel. I think there was a, in terms of kind of history of solo jazz piano, obviously you had 
Teddy Wilson and R. Tatum and James P. Johnson and you know there was that that great Harlem tradition of stride piano, Willie the Lion Smith, Earl Hines, who's my absolute favorite, one of my top five favorite piano players. He's out of his mind and quite far out. And then there was this kind of lull in solo piano. I mean, there was, on the one hand, uh, Cecil Taylor in the 60s, you know, who really made it into a certain kind of art form. And then on the complete opposite end was Keith Jarrett. And it was either kind of Cecil or Keith. I mean, they were both kind of epic, but, you know, one obviously very tonal, being Keith, and very uh, more pretty uh, facing you, which I still think is his best solo record. Then there was, you know, Cecil, who I listened to quite a bit as well. I loved Cecil's solo work. And then, uh, you know, there were always people who kind of played solo. There was that whole Concord series, and that was actually what got me into doing my first recorded solo album was, you know, they throw you on the stage and you just have to sink or swim. So I've been doing solo concerts for a long time, almost 20 years, but it's not really been such a big thing, I think, until recently. I like it. It took some convincing for me. Partially, actually, Bob Hurwitz at Nunsuch was very instrumental in saying, look, you know, I like the way you, you play trio. You're a great trio player. Are there other people who play great trio? Yes. Are there people who play solo the way you do? No. So lead with your strength. There are a lot of practical reasons for playing solo. I mean, it's easy. I don't have to travel with a bass and a road case and a sound check. And Basically, I show up at the hall. I warm up for half an hour. I sit backstage. And I go out and play. You know, And I also want to be free to just to go where my muse takes me and that's the great thing about solo piano you know in a trio when you play with the same people over and over and over again you ha ultimately you can get that level of, of freedom it becomes that fluid but it's more difficult you know at this point those experiences you know when I play when I'm playing the piano I mean I'm trying to play my experience it's not about really anything more than that I didn't make a record as a leader until 85. So at that point I was 30, almost 30 years old. Um, I'd been on a lot of Sideman records and roughly, you know, around that time or not long after that, you know, I found out that I was positive, HIV positive. So, you know, my whole career has, as a leader has had this sort of cloud, if you will, over it. And, um, for a long time, I mean, I was obviously pretty depressed about it and felt defeated by it. And I did feel like, you know, what about me? You know, no, you know, why can't I get a gig at the Vanguard? Why can't I get a record deal? You know, it was very frustrating. And I allowed that, you know, I got negative. And then in 1994, I came out very publicly about my orient sexual orientation, about having HIV in association with the a benefit record that I did for Classical Action Performing Arts Against AIDS. And it was at a time when I'd just gotten a Grammy nomination. I was feeling like I had some career energy. I was feeling physically really good. And I thought, this is a chance for me to do something socially good for the world. 
to show the example of somebody who's using this in some good way. It was selfish in that um, I realized that there's a big price for being in the closet, personally and musically. And in the last few years, having the support of a great record label and having really helpful management and getting the support even of people in the, in the press. And I'm getting more and more encouragement to be more and more personal. You know, and of course, I, you know, not so ironically, that's why I'm getting more success because I'm really being more personal. So it's, a, it's, it's like just basically like growing up. It's been the, you know, the last 15 years has been a sort of a process of trying to grow up. For a long time, my health status was the main issue on the plate. And now it's more of a side dish. I mean, everybody kind of knows about it. But it's not, it doesn't define me. And, you know, health-wise, I mean, for a long time, I never thought I would live to be 40. You know, now 50 is looking very believable. I'm historically fortunate in that respect because the development of medications and just, you know, my, you know, Russian Jewish peasant genes or something that have kept me going all these years. So, and I try to take care of myself. In the early 80s, I was very paranoid about it. Late 70s, I was very paranoid about it because I was young and I was in New York. I just wanted everybody to like me. I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to be the right pianist that everybody wanted to call for every gig. You know, and then at a certain point, you get to a certain age when you realize, okay, well, I only want to be called for a gig because I play like me. <laughs> and I only want to play with people who want me to be myself. So I had to let a certain amount of worrying about what other people think go. The positives about coming out have so far outweighed, you know, Look, the jazz world is a microcosm of the world, and there's going to be racism and homophobia and anti-Semitism and competitiveness and negative energy, period. You know, and I can't worry about that. And it also makes it easier now that I'm getting at least a little piece of the pie, you know, that I feel like I have opportunities to do what I do and I've earned a certain amount of respect. I've had jazz musicians from all over the world call me up. Some who are still either closeted about having HIV or closeted about being gay and said, gee, you know, you did it and, you know, help me. You know, what should I do? Or what were the pros and cons? Or who do I talk to? Or so I'm kind of the den mother for that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm not a certified social worker, but in that I can be helpful, I want to be helpful. Jazz at this point in the year 2000 almost does not have to be uh, so, we don't want it to be like, I see once again this is unpopular because everybody's calling jazz America's classical music, but it has to be alive. <laughs> and so I guess when you're afraid of what people think, or even a better th phrase might be sometimes, it, jazz sometimes I hear jazz, and it sounds like hip cats playing things for other hip cats to dig. Instead of taking more of a chance, or relating it to the world, or relating it to their own personal experience, or, or who they are, who, how they feel at that moment. I think that's when we start losing 
outside of what it is. So I think, you know, the whole idea is to just keep expanding and being open and not being in that kind of closety, you know, hiding behind, okay, well, this is the way Bud Powell did it. It's written in the Torah, you know, so that's how I'm going to do it. So I guess at this point, you know, everybody has all this information. There are a million records out there. and So let's just all, you know, do something with it and move forward. I guess that's, that's the thing that I think about the most. Pianist Fred Hirsch. You can find all of our jazz stories at jalc.org and on iTunes. For Jazz Stories, I'm Alexa Lim. Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street by me with David Gorin and Steve Rath. Support comes from Jazz at Lincoln Center, so consider becoming a member. You can find complete information at jalc.org.